it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. to the Andy Staples Show. It's a Wednesday edition. It's another Pyramid edition. You listened to the Joe Testor episode last week. We, we kicked off with Joe on the $100,000 Pyramid. And this gentleman heard that episode <laughs> and immediately sent me a clip of his mom. Dan Rubenstein, was, was your mom on the $10,000 or $25,000 Pyramid? I believe $10,000, but I mean, we can call her live on air. She might pick up. I don't remember. Okay. So she did Pyramid, and she also did Password Plus. And wow. One of which I may have been in utero during. So that may have rubbed off on me and infected my trivia mind and my game show mind. The but yeah. password is yeah. utero. She won both. She appeared on... Of course she did. Two of the game show... Th- excuse me three of the game shows I've appeared on and I did one solo. I've been a contestant on four game shows and we won two. We should have won the third. Uh, we can go real deep into game show contestant. It was a show called Lingo with Chuck Woolery on the game show network. Oh, I remember that show. We kept drawing lose a turn balls, but we were dominating <laughs> our opponents. And so it was a, a, a part of the game that did us in not our own skill and acumen. So I we are gonna talk college football. I swear, Dan, <laughs> one half of the Solid Verbal, the OG college football podcast. I don't look at other college football podcasts as the competition. We do like a thirty-minute show. You guys have yeah. plenty of time to listen to podcasts. There's dog walking. There's commutes. You should be listening to all of them, and you should especially be listening to the Solid Verbal. We're gonna talk about that, but first, I need to play Mama Rubenstein with Mrs. Brady herself, Florence Henderson, and yeah. Dick Clark. On the pyramid, this is—I mean, this Dan, this is this is a tour de force. This is this is just incredible. Like, no one should be this good at anything. So here is your mom being awesome. <laughs> Much good luck to you, ladies, for ten thousand dollars. Here is your first subject. Go. The tango, the rumba, uh, Manhattan. Uh, Parts of New York? Uh, Things in New York? Uh, a Woody Allen movie? Yes. Uh, a typewriter. I can't believe a desk. Woody Things Allen that an office secretary uses? Uh, onions. Things that make you cry? Uh, a child. A Cute. teddy bear. Cute, cuddly, warm. Uh, a dog. A puppy. Uh, small Your thing. husband. Things you hug? Uh, <laughs> um, a burglar. Uh, a purse snatcher. Um, uh, criminals, crooks, a dog, uh, things that bite you, things uh, that um, um, hurt you, um, a dog, things that you a burger. chase. <laughs> I mean, that's pure domination, pure domination. Because Joe Testor it's was on talking about how he had 29 seconds left at one point and could not get the final clue. That things you chase could go a lot of different directions, but Mama Rubenstein 
to, to, to paraphrase Jimbo Fisher, kept the main thing the main thing and just blew it away. Yeah, I, so the other thing that you should know is her friend, which they're, they're very close family friends now, and they live. she's a professor, a law professor at Stanford. She made my mom look slow with her final round. I don't remember who her partner was. I'm going to get the clip for you, and it is, it is hot knife through butter. What she did what to the it, final was round. Was it another member of the Brady family? Was it Betty I White? I don't believe. I got to figure it out. My, I think my dad has the clip. I'll get the clip for you. But she went through it like it was like kids pyramid. It was a wild. Like <laughs> at the end of it, I think she sort of turned to the camera and said, was that it? Is that, is that everything? So that, that's. Kia Zadora? The, yeah. <laughs> those are my people. Barry Williams was Greg? Is, is that name right? That was Greg. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. No, I don't remember who her, her celebrity was. But yeah, this is sort of what happens. And this is, I'm, I, we can do a whole off-topic episode about this, whatever. Um, I grew up in Southern California. And so when you're in Southern California, sometimes you just come across casting people. We had little flyers in our cubbies in fourth grade for the game show I went on when I was nine years old with my mom. And I'm sure everybody has something, right? If you grow up in Florida, if you grow up in New York, if you grow up, like there's some sort of unique wrinkle to growing up in a place and the opportunities that that gives you and appearing on game shows. Like maybe the same thing happens if you grow up in Orlando around Universal Studios there. I don't know. It, it did. Every Everybody I went to middle and high school with was on some form of Nickelodeon game exactly. show. Either they were on Family Double Dare or Global Guts, and yes, because because they just needed it, it's sort of like booking guests for radio shows or podcasts. Like totally, a lot of times you're just going path of least resistance, mm-hmm. and it, it like with with Family Double Dare, it's okay. Kids in Orange and Seminole counties come out to to this casting call, and then yeah. and then they that's that's where they get them. It's just that easy, and it was so you can. I have clips of like me and my friends appearing on Pick Your Brain with Mark Summers, and we all did pretty well. It's great. Truly amazing. Truly amazing. And I, I apologize to those who want the <laughs> hardcore college football talk. But it's listen, all about competition. When you here. see when you see a masterful performance like that, you must pay tribute to it. This this was the Jake Hayner versus UCLA <laughs> performance of Pyramid. I'll take it. Gutty, championship quality, Gritty. a lot of heart, and just laser focused, not letting anything get in the way at the end. That's what Jake Hayner did. A masterful throw to win the game. Jake Hayner made two throws on drives that should not probably have ended in touchdowns that were, there was maybe a, a six-inch window he could have thrown into for the, both of the last two touchdowns, and he hit them both. That, that, that was just truly astounding. Oh, and by the way, he could barely walk. Yeah, he took a shot right before that touchdown throw. That It was an incredible performance, and Washington could have had that. <laughs> Washington yep. could have had him. Now Washington has a terrible offense. Yeah, I don't know how much Jake Hayner would have done to overhaul. I think Dylan Morris is probably a pretty good quarterback, but I think it's more system and lack of playmaker. I don't know. There's a whole long uh, podcast probably to do about what's ailing Washington's yeah, podcast. I mean, but. Usually when you hire the guy who got run out of the last place because the offense wasn't very dynamic, and then the next person came in and made the offense very, very good, yeah. that should tell you something. There, It always astounds me that somebody – like Washington's a major program. Like what is it about – that hiring process was it a budget thing? Was it a fit thing with Jimmy Lake? Was it a you know somebody not wanting to it, move to the West the Pac-12, Coast? If it's Pac-12, we should assume it's a budget thing. 
We yeah. should automatically assume it's a budget thing. But I, I'm more talking like when Ole Miss went out and got Phil Longo from Sam Houston State. Is there not Correct. somebody on the FCS level that would be happy to make six hundred grand a year calling a creative offense? Like that's the, you, the, the crazy thing. Those, you gotta know those people to have that idea, or at least you you need to listen to your agent when they give you that idea. That's, right. that's one thing. But but the and the and the real kind of I don't know if it's irony. We'll have to ask Alanis Morissette if this is actually ironic or not. <laughs> but Joe Moorhead was the one who showed at Penn State what John Donovan wasn't doing. Right. Joe Moorhead now the offensive coordinator at Washington's biggest rival. Yes. Who? What's What's the name of Boy? I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Tim Tim Plow Pluff. What What? The guy running Boise State's offense currently that Andy Avalos hired. I believe it's Plow has a really good reputation. West Coast footprint was right there. I don't know. It's wild. It it is truly amazing, and that's that's sort of the sort of the, the what happens in college football is we get these situations where I mean Washington seemed sort of impossible to screw up after Chris Peterson left because he he created such a nice blueprint. You've got mm-hmm. Jimmy Lake coming in who had been a part of that creating that blueprint. Mm-hmm. I mean and and promised to basically recruit maybe a little better caliber of athlete to do exactly what they had been doing. Yeah. But then they're not. And Pete Kwiatkowski's, he's gone to Texas. You know, there's, there's other, other factors there, but it is, it is truly amazing that that's, that's how that ends up. This is not exactly where I thought we'd wind up starting. No, I've I've actually, I mean, if you want to keep talking Washington, like I I have a little bit of insight, like there's, from what I have heard about the situation in Seattle, because they were really beset by a lot of transfers, um, a lot of receivers, I've heard it's just sort of a Jimmy Lake has his guys. And the the sort of brilliance of Chris Peterson and the brilliance of any really good head coach, it seems, is knowing what you do and don't know, having a vision, and it's the organizational factor. It's this is what our recruiting department looks like. This is the this is what our receivers look like. This is what our defensive backs look like. This is how this is our messaging. This is how we market ourselves to recruits and to parents and to whatever. And Chris Peterson was sensational at that. He had the OKG thing and built for life, all that stuff, and whatever. It resonates. And I think Jimmy Lake came in and he got rid of guys that he didn't see eye to eye with, which is fine. But you have to be able to sort of have your own vision. And that's the difference whether you look at Clay Helton, never been a head coach, right, at a major place. That's the difference because a lot of these guys who come in and succeed as head coaches at these huge places are either internal hires, Jimmy Lake was, or have the experience of being a head coach and failing as a head coach. You know, it's Ed Orgeron, it's Pete Carroll, all these guys that have the like, okay, this is what I messed up. I'm definitely not going to go that path again. That It's fascinating. It, well. And not to pile completely on Jimmy Lake because Chris no. Peterson was the the head coach who decided, okay, Jacob Eason's my guy, and mm-hmm. that's what caused Jay Kaner to leave. We're not right. totally. blaming the Jay Kaner thing on on Jimmy no. Lake because that no, no, he no. had nothing to do with that. But but it is it is fascinating because if you're a Washington fan and you've watched what Washington has put on tape so far, and then you watch Jay Kaner against UCLA and you're just like oh no we could have and and there's a lot of that I mean totally I, I think with 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 Florida you wrote fans, about Malik I, Willis I wonder, right yeah Auburn and Malik Willis yeah Florida and Cam Newton totally I, mean, I was on Feinbaum last week and we were talking about Anthony Richardson and I said he looks a little like Cam and Paul immediately goes wasn't Cam third string at Florida and I'm like ah no he wasn't behind John Brantley but yeah right I there there is a little of what might have been 
that, that runs through your mind. And that's, it, it's interesting because with Florida, we just saw Emory Jones, I think, kind of find his, his, his groove in Florida's mm-hmm. offense against Alabama. They didn't win. And now Anthony Richardson, as of Monday, they said he looks like he's going to be 100% healthy. They feel comfortable playing him against Tennessee. So do you, bring, do you make him the, the Tebow to, to Emory Jones's Chris Leak? And just see what happens? I mean, right now, what does the SEC look like in terms of danger to Florida? Is it Georgia and everybody else at this point? Like, who is truly scary that you couldn't experiment with that two-quarterback system? It's Georgia. I mean, LSU, we'll see. If if LSU gets gets better, LSU has a ridiculously brutal stretch right now. Mm -hmm. And we'll see if they're any better than they were in the UCLA game. If they are better... Then yeah, they have the talent to beat anybody on their schedule. So that would be one you'd worry about. But other than that, if you're Florida, you're not worried about real. I mean, you might worry about Kentucky somewhat because Kentucky can sure. can control the clock, control the ball. Kentucky can can create, especially against Florida, a really low possession game because mm-hmm. they both run the ball so well. So that one that but but I'm fascinated by that because I think if Anthony Richardson plays against Alabama, the result might be different even if he's not the starter, even if he's just sort of coming in. And we may get to see that against Tennessee or against Kentucky, what he can do. And, and, but but there's, that's sort of the, the, the conundrum now as you're picking quarterbacks because the second you say this is my guy and this other one's not, you have, you have an issue. Dan Mullen has been good at walking that tightrope, whether it's with mm-hmm. Emory Jones and Kyle Trask, and it seems like now with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, but, but it does seem like – Anthony Richardson flashed so much in those first two weeks. If he's anything like that against the better competition they're playing, Dan Mullen's probably going to have to make a choice. Is it a trust in a, okay, if you can't produce 75-yard runs or hit somebody over the top, that you can pick somebody apart? Is it like, okay, he we can't call as many plays because he's not running through progressions as confidently as Emory Jones? That kind of has yes. to be it, doesn't it? That's it. I mean, and that is it, and, and that's okay. What, what you have to decide is if, if, if Richardson comes in and can do this against SEC competition, True. then you have to decide what gives you the better chance to beat a Georgia mm-hmm. down the road or, or in a rematch with Alabama. Is it having the full menu available to you or is it being really great at the things you can run? And I, yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that because we got to see how if Anthony Richardson can do any of that stuff against the other, the other teams that they're playing. It's also fair, by the way, to allow Emory Jones to play against somebody between a terrible team and Alabama, right? And Alabama. To like maybe, yeah. maybe kind of see what he looks like against a B plus th- team. I think he did very well against, against totally. Alabama. The, the the one interception he was he had a he had a defender uh, he was wearing him essentially. Yeah, and uh, I might put that one on the line. So it, it's all right. But I thought he did very well as the game went on. He made he threw some some clutch third and fourth down passes, so th- there's there's promise there too, and and it's I guess it's the kind of proverbial good problem to have. The mm-hmm. you, know, you and you and your co-host Ty Hildebrand often talk about backup better than the starter right. situations. I don't know if that's a situation at Florida, but if it is, it's not the worst thing in the world to have to deal with. It's not the worst thing in the world, but in 2021, it is a tightrope. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Georgia to see what it's like walking the line between a potential huge playmaker who is behind 
a pretty good quarterback and then you have to determine essentially ceilings and how to how to walk that yep. politically it's tough yeah well and and the interesting thing with that is it, at least with Georgia it was both guys are Georgia guys mm-hmm. one guy took you to the national championship game with the Florida one Anthony Richardson is a Gainesville guy yeah Emory Jones is from Georgia like from a recruiting standpoint you have to lean toward the Florida guy as totally. well so there's just there's a lot there's a lot at play and I I'm curious Dan because the further I get away from Florida Alabama the more I think okay I'm I feel like we may have all jumped the gun on Alabama I feel like we were shoveling a lot of dirt on the Crimson Tide considering they won a road game against a team that's had double digit wins each of the last three seasons it, it's I think something of their own doing because they've been so dominant and we only can look back at as college football fans the last two or three years clearly because there's just so many games to take in and what we know of Alabama the recent history is just destruction just out and out destruction I mean what they did against Ohio State in the national championship what they get against Notre Dame what they do against really strong teams and so we're holding them to their own standard which is definitely not fair with a new quarterback a new coordinator you know guys moving all over the line and having like an all-time run of receivers for three years it's not fair to hold them to that standard but at the same time they've delivered in the past as we've held them to that standard so they go to the swamp as 14 15 point favorites which i don't know they've earned they've they've definitely earned that that benefit of the doubt i i remember taking florida in the points i mean i I, i'm a 50 50 picker i'm no nobody special but it just at a certain point you have to say to yourself there are going to be moments where they look human and I know Nick Saban is the first person that gets so upset that everybody pencils in Alabama, but it feels like so many new elements to Alabama, especially now with how beat up they are along on the edge on defense with Will Anderson yeah. and Chris Allen, that it's fair to say Alabama is more mortal, but at the same time, who's actually good enough to take advantage moving forward? Well, and I also think you know, we we got we got very excited after this last weekend because we're looking at Alabama, we're looking at Oklahoma, we're looking at Ohio State, and we're saying, okay, they don't look unbeatable. And maybe this means the playoff will look considerably different. Maybe this means the national championship race will look considerably different than it has. And I suspect that we may be correct about one or two of them, that, that they may be beatable. But also one or two of them may just evolve as the season goes on into the kind of killing machine that we were expecting. And, you know, Alabama is probably the, the, the one you'd put as the favorite for that mm-hmm. uh, because maybe, maybe there's some young guys that haven't played who are just very, you know, raw but immensely physically talented who they just gain trust with. And I'm thinking especially defensively. As you go back to 2017, they look super vulnerable in the middle of the season because they had so many linebackers hurt. By the time they got people healthy in the playoff, they're good enough to beat anybody and they wind up winning the national title. So that's the thing. So let me, let me pose this to you, Dan Mm -hmm. of Oklahoma, Alabama, or Ohio state, which is the most likely to evolve into an unbeatable national title contender type. And which is the most likely to cash in on, you know, are, are what we suspect might be some flaws. 
I think I'm most worried about Ohio State of those three because I don't know how fixable the defense is. The talent level is extremely high, but what we saw from Oregon was an inability of the Ohio State defense to adjust mid-game. Ohio State's been they've known they've had Oregon and Joe Moorhead on the schedule forever. They they knew what was coming and they didn't adjust. And there were just there were gaps there. The 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 skill in the secondary isn't what it was three four years ago. So. Ohio State has me the most worried because the Big Ten itself looks the deepest in terms of Better. above yeah. average competency. You have Michigan State emerging. Michigan looks really strong, at least early. Penn State, obviously, with a couple big wins. So Ohio State situationally has me the most worried. Um, Oklahoma, I think, is going to round into form, but I don't think they're going to hit where they were a few years ago, even with an improved defense. It's hard to on that Oklahoma team – to find that emerging receiver. I think there are guys who are good, but in terms of Hollywood Brown, CeeDee Lamb, D.D. Westbrook, there's just, you know, I like Marvin Mims. I like these guys, but they're, the gravitational quality to that receiving core is just a little bit different. They're thin at running back. The, re, the, the line doesn't seem as bulletproof. You know, Spencer Rattler presses a little bit, and it's unfair to him as well. We're comparing him to active NFL quarterback good active NFL quarterbacks three three active starting NFL quarterbacks correct by the way all appear to be very good like Jalen Hurts appears to that I was wondering how he would handle the the transition to the NFL but he looks like he's going to be a decent NFL starting quarterback yes Heisman winners you know high level quarterbacks so I think Oklahoma is merely good or to really good and Alabama is that team that I think is going to emerge because I think this, there's a lot of a feeling out period. Receivers, who's going to get better? You know, the line, you know, Evan Neal slides over to the left side and there's just guys competing on the right still. And the running game isn't as crazy good as it was with Najee Harris, and that's okay. I just think Alabama of those teams has the most ways to hypothetically win a game. Whereas I think right now Ohio State is okay, big plays, but they're out of sorts a little bit. Like, I... CJ Stroud doesn't seem to be as confident as previous guys in terms of getting the ball to all world receivers and the offensive line is good, but has been a little bit uneven. So yeah, I think Alabama is still who I'm most confident in. The interesting question to me is Clemson because their path Mm -hmm. is sensational, but, and maybe we're looking too much into a sort of monsoon ugly win against Georgia tech, but there definitely seems to be a step down between the run of quarterbacks going back to even Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and all due respect to, I guess, C.J. Stroud and uh, C.J. Stroud. Uh, Cole Stout. Is that his Cole Kelly, Stout? Right, and Kelly Bryant, Cole, yeah. And Kelly Bryant, all due respect to them. But it seems like DJU is just going to take a little bit more time to develop, isn't going to be as ready to dominate right away. So Clemson's fascinating to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Stay at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. 
Find Reese's now at a store near you. Now, I, I'm not going to ask if not Clemson, then who in the ACC? Because I still think Clemson sure. will wind up winning the ACC. But the Ohio State thing is really interesting because, like you said, the rest of the Big Ten is pretty good. Mm-hmm. If not Ohio State, is it Penn State? Is it Iowa? Is it Wisconsin? Who, who, who could it be? Man. All of those teams, like, I would love to say Michigan State, but I, I don't think Miami's particularly excellent. I don't know. Um, quite, well, oh, Michigan, yeah. I, I didn't mention Michigan. They you didn't mention Michigan? Yeah. Very good um, this year. I tend to figure out who has the most impressive combination of quarterback and defense. And I suppose right now it's Penn State just because they're the most tested because I think we've downgraded Indiana and thus have to reevaluate the Iowa win. And I I don't trust Spencer Petras if Iowa needs to you know drive the field with two minutes left. That that to me is troubling. And it's weird that Sean Clifford is the most trustworthy. <laughs> but I suppose here we are. I think it's Penn State right now. If not Ohio State, it's Penn State. I believe that game's in Columbus, though. So... Yeah, I, I like both Brent Pry and Mike Yurcich. Um I, I think they're I like their skill position guys a lot. Their secondary has been flying around impressively. I guess my answer is Penn State. Wow. And they already have a win it, against how long, against Wisconsin. So there's that. How long has it been since we could really legitimately ask that question? I mean the year Penn State won the Big Ten, I suppose. Yeah. So what was it? Twenty seventeen when they beat Ohio State with that the was twenty sixteen when they won 2016, the Big Ten. Twenty sixteen, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was the the Saquon Rose Bowl year. Um, yeah, it's been five years since we've had this kind of confidence in Penn State. Be it weird coordinator hire or drop off, and Trace McSorley was beat up his senior year. It's been a minute. Yeah, and, and it's not just the the Penn State thing. It's it's the the there's even anybody that we'd yeah. consider potentially winning the Big Ten who isn't Ohio State. And I I just. I think all of this is fun. I think all of this makes things more interesting mm-hmm. because, again, I said I think Clemson wins the ACC, but I'm not positive about that. And I've been very positive about that for the past five years. Uh, I think Oklahoma wins the Big 12, but I'm not positive about that right now. Yep, I'm really not positive I know who's going to win the SEC. I think that's that's pretty open. Yeah. I mean, this is this is about as open and fun and I realize that we're three weeks in we're, and, and we're probably doing the same sort of overreacting that we always make fun of later in the season right but I don't remember feeling this way three four weeks into the season the last few years also it's not fun to say well season's over three weeks in like it's yeah, okay to be exactly. enthusiastic about the sport and the possibilities ahead yeah you're, you're totally right like obviously and, and you forgot america's conference the pat league of course this seems nobody wins games in the pat league uh no the pac-12 seems really open like i i love oregon but i don't think they've completed impressive See, I, passes I don't downfield feel like the pac-12 is open like i feel like oregon really? is going to win the pac-12 oregon's Look. in a really good place but anthony brown is not a playoff quarterback he is just like there is there is going to be a game where Oregon needs to complete passes downfield and that's he he has a lot of good things but that is not what he like even against Stony Brook there were issues just confidence wise throwing you know checking down too much so uh yeah I I think the Pac-12 is is relatively wide open but Oregon's the favorite and yeah, Big 12-wise, we're talking about a Tulane team that took Oklahoma to the wire, a Nebraska team with a good defense. Nebraska has a legit good defense. I know we're all writing off the Huskers because sure of the Illinois do. game. 
I think until they do. I see Oklahoma just torch somebody, I'm not sure Nebraska has a good defense. Like, or I see Nebraska's defense stop some people. Like, they were they pretty good last Illinois. year, though. Like, they gave up points to Illinois. I know. I am. I am willing to forgive even the most heinous Week One performances. I'm always Week Week Zero. Excuse me. I'm always willing yes. to forgive. There's always going to be truth. There's always going to be kernels of truth in in Week One or Week Zero performances, but. I am willing to say, okay, it was a road game. It was Illinois. They were just unprepared, and now it has woken up the the Huskers to whatever extent. I still think they have offensive issues, but they played well on defense last year, and I, I know they have a brutal schedule still. But yeah, I don't Big Twelve wise, I have no idea what to expect from Texas week to week. I don't know what to expect from TCU or Baylor or Iowa State. Like you know, Iowa State just consistently lays eggs against good defenses. We've seen it year in and year out against Oklahoma State. I don't know what makes this year any different. I, I can't wait to find out though. Well, and and like I find myself looking at with the Big Twelve, who has to go to Morgantown? Like yeah, stuff like that matters. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh, the Big 12 is fascinating. Everything is fascinating. We're like, we are actively leaving out pseudo dangerous teams in all of these conferences. Like, Maryland doesn't have a complete team, but they've got guys. They've got two crazy dangerous receivers and a pretty good defense. They're not going to go nine and three, but they'll bite somebody for sure. Speaking of the team that that beat West Virginia, yes. Yes. Maryland, and then then went to Illinois on a Friday night and won that game. And, Mm -hmm. And it wasn't pretty, but that's the kind of game that Maryland loses. In mm-hmm. the past few years, yeah, so all I you're right. Mar- and Maryland is one of those. I, I've always been kind of because they've always had some dudes, like even in the Randy Edsel era, like they had Stephon Diggs. Now they didn't know how to use him, right? It's it's telling that Stephon Diggs didn't just torch everybody in college because they just didn't know how to get him the ball. Right, and he gets the NFL and, and he's amazing. But they've always had some elite athletes on that team, and Mike Loxley being the head coach. And being the kind of recruiter he is has only made that even even more so. You know what I think gets lost a little bit in the look at the you know best five or six teams in the country that we we can't help but do right every year it's Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, whatever. The thing that is fascinating about this season is it appears appears that the floor is really high in a lot of conferences. Like there aren't yep. like Rutgers is three and zero. Whatever Rutgers ends up being. They've won games they're supposed to win. The talent level is higher. The coaching level is obviously higher. Oregon State is blowing out teams they should blow out, right? There's, I mean, look, I, let's ignore the first week, but uh, there, the, <laughs> there, there aren't as many disasters to pseudo disasters in the major conferences and even in some of the G5 conferences, which makes for a much well, I, more entertaining I, season. I have a theory on that. And, and this is something Ari and I talked about after the, after the games the other night. Super seniors? I think it's because – what's that? Yeah, super seniors, super seniors and, and, yeah. and everybody else. I, and I also think there were there were some non-super seniors. There's probably some guys who decided to stay another year because they felt like last year was weird, hurt their draft stock, mm-hmm. and wanted to come back and try to help their draft. So I, I, I'd have to look at, at the number, and, and I'm, I apologize that I don't know this off the top of my head, to yeah. see if the number of guys who left early – was any different but I think it, it that has hurt the super teams because the, the best teams the guys who are going to leave after their junior year still left after their junior year because they're still going to be super high draft picks uh-huh everybody else had a had a few starters who stayed and that makes a massive difference when you have two or three guys who stayed who would have been gone totally it's 
when I look at even I'm an Oregon fan. I mentioned in the past and you know all the time, but I feel like I recognize more of Oregon's players that have been around. For, it's almost like old college basketball, right? It's almost like looking back yeah. at the '90s college the basketball, sale. right? We're like. I I think Thomas Hill played for Duke for 14 years, right? Like those <laughs> guys who were just like, I'm so familiar. And you have the year after year narrative. And I'm like, I'm sure you look at Oregon, you're like, Johnny Johnson, still Jalen Red, still there. All these guys still well, here. Like, Travis well, yeah, tailbacks. I'm like, wait a second. Those three have been together for how long now? Yeah. Like, and like, how long has Dorian Thompson Robinson been in, <laughs> in Pasadena? Like there are so many guys across the sport where it's just like, it's a more familiar college football season, which is kind of great. Also fun. Yeah. We, we get to, you know, get to know everybody and, and we've had these relationships with them for this long. Mm-hmm. And it's not as transient for, for once, yeah. but there, there is a team we have not brought up, Dan, that I, I think we can't say they're a favorite because every time I mention that they might potentially win a national title, I get, oh, you know, I don't want anything since 1980. But <laughs> George is really good. George's defense yeah. is really good. George's offense has looked really good the past couple of weeks. Uh, JT Daniels came back and and torched South Carolina. Uh, but I want you. I want to play this for you because I, I was fascinated by this this answer to this question. This is from Shane Beamer, whose team lost to Georgia last week. He's a South Carolina head coach. It's, he's in his first year. And we never get an answer this honest in college football. And I, I got to say, I really appreciate this. So I, I, I want to get your thoughts on, on this answer Please. right here. Just what were they doing to maybe make things physical on the offensive side and, and maybe being able to get a push? Who, what, who was doing? Uh, Georgia's a defensive line. What were they doing to maybe make things difficult on the offense? Uh, they've got like a hundred five-star football <laughs> players on their defense. They are, they have a defensive lineman that weighs 340 pounds and, and runs better than everybody on this call. Uh, they've got five-star defensive backs. They're big and physical and fast. I mean, other than that, they're really freaking good. That's why they have the top defense in the country. They're hard to run the football on. So there wasn't some magical scheme they came out with tonight. They got, Five-star recruits everywhere, and they play really physical. Damn. <laughs> really like good. Damn. It's really end. good. I can't believe you even asked that. <laughs> and maybe that's why everybody loves Shane Beamer, right? That, like, everybody says he's, you know, he really connects with people, whatever. Like, there's just, like, th- there's no facade of, like, well, we got to go back to the drawing board, blah, blah, blah. It was great. That's – and you'll notice one thing, and you have Stars Matter on the Athletic Podcast Network – Yes. He mentioned five stars, right? A lot of coach speak around February is like, we don't pay attention to stars. Yeah, we don't yeah, pay we attention do. to recruiting rankings, but they do. <laughs> exactly. Well, and now that that's also an answer that you can give in your first year as, as a coach at a totally, place. Totally, yes. That he cannot give in year four. Because, like he was talking about Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis is the, the defensive tackle that he was referring to who runs better than, and I guarantee you Jordan Davis runs better than every reporter on that call and, and probably. Oh, yeah every reporter in America. So, yeah. uh, but Jordan Davis is from Charlotte, 90 minute drive from South Carolina's campus. If Shane Beamer had been the head coach when Jordan Davis got recruited, Shane Beamer's getting murdered for saying that, but yeah, he didn't, he, you know, he wasn't there. So he can say, not me. <laughs> had nothing to do with this. In fact, he may have been on the staff when they were recruiting Jordan Davis. Cause he was at Georgia in 2017. So I just, I, I think, it's one of those deals where you can't get away with saying that two, three years down the road. But I'm so glad he said that. And I hope coaches take note. Like, 
it's okay to say they've just got really good players. Now, yeah. it's not okay to say it when you're supposed to have as good of players as they are. Mm-hmm. Like Dan Mullen couldn't have said that about Alabama when they played. Right. Because he's supposed to recruit at the same level. He's not, but he's supposed to. Right. No, it's it's wild. And I, I appreciate it. I had this was years and years ago. I had a conversation with Nick Saban. Okay. This was at the White House. I'm just dropping names and places in ways that I've never <laughs> wow. done before. All right. But we were doing a video shoot and I asked him about they just had beaten Clemson in the national championship. I forget what year it was. And I just we were just killing time waiting to to do the the video shoot. And we were talking about defensive linemen and his scheme for Clemson. And they were not expecting Clemson to like run up the gut right away and how they used to recruit because they were playing, you know, old LSU teams just running power right. in Arkansas. Right. Terrence team. Cody. Yeah. Right. And so the impossibility of recruiting to any one system right now when offenses are stretching sideline to sideline. And his palpable frustration because, I mean, he eventually found those guys, whatever it was, Jonathan Allen, got huge guys who could run, but he He and Kirby... Ron Payne, Quinn Williams. Yes. Yeah. But they, those are, those guys don't exist to 125 teams in the sport. And one of those teams is South Carolina. I mean, they might get them. They just had, was it Kinlaw was just drafted? He was one of those guys for South Carolina. Well, I mean, they had, and they had Jadavian Clowney, not not up the middle, but... Yes, yeah. on the defensive line, who right. was the number one overall recruit. But they're unicorns. They're college football's version of unicorns. It's There are fast guys and there are big guys, and there's like 11 dudes in the sport who are big and fast. And it, it reminded me, Shane Beamer, to bring it full circle, his response reminded me of, do you remember when Patrick Beverly was like a post-game press conference after trying to guard Kevin Durant? And Patrick yes. Beverly was just like, what do you want me to do? He's seven feet tall with like a nine foot wingspan and he doesn't miss. Like, I don't know what anybody's idea is, but there's not much that anybody can do. I love that. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. Like, every college football fan feels like there's some sort of magic play. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's like the water boy, the, 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 playbook, the playbook with my plays in it. Like, there is no magic play. When Jordan Davis is on the other side and you don't have five-star offensive linemen. Right. There's no play. There's nothing no. you can run. No, there's nothing. And a lot of those dudes only develop, go, only go to high school in the South. So that's what we see. That's what happens when Nick Fairley lines up against Oregon in 2010. That's what happens when a Wisconsin team. We're going to read Wisconsin- Nick Fairley because we know we can't block him. And he tackles the quarterback and the tailback at the same time. <laughs> Look, in theory, it wasn't a bad idea. In practice, well, he's quicker than we thought. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the fascinating thing is who is able to not just develop guys but convince those guys because – Look, Rashawn Gary is from New Jersey, and that that was great that he ended up in the Big Ten for that conference to get one of those guys. But there's just there's not a lot, and even at other positions, like the sport right now, to me, is who has the most guys that can do multiple things. Who is what was Isaiah mm-hmm. Simmons for Clemson? Who has the most yes. guys? Who has the Derwin James guys? Because that is a lot of a lot of teams have a number of great players, but it's who can cover and fill running lanes, who can rush the quarterback and hold his his own in a running lane. That's that's the thing that, like, I get why Shane Beamer is losing hair because he has to face those guys. I get it. 
He was actually tearing it out as he gave the answer. Yeah. You could see the video as he was answering. He was tearing his hair out as as he answered that question. So you're you're exactly right, and and you're right about the Swiss Army knife guys. The you know you need those guys on defense, but the same thing on offense with like Anaya mm-hmm. Smith and and Devon totally. Chain at Texas A and M, or uh, what Stanford did with Christian McCaffrey, and what the Panthers continue to do with Christian McCaffrey. Like those are the people. Travis Etienne at Clemson his senior year, where mm-hmm. he, he caught 49 balls and still averaged seven yards a carry. Like those people don't. Just grow on trees. No, they don't. And I, it reminds me, I mean, I just, I can talk about this play. I don't even, it was year, decades ago probably now. Do you remember the Joe Staley play where he's out running against New Orleans? Oh, my God, On yes. the Alex Smith play? Kaepernick is, is, is running on a read option. Alex Smith, Joe I think. Staley, I think it was Alex Smith. Was it Kaepernick? Oh, it was, was Alex it Smith? Smith. You're right. Yeah. Joe Staley comes sprinting past him to throw a lead block. Joe Staley is an is an offensive tackle. Like mm-hmm. nobody that big should be able to run that fast. It's incredible. Like we don't appreciate, and I guess this is sort of this is the foundation of your appreciation of the sport. We just don't appreciate the large dudes like we should. These are athletes. It's incredible. Well, I see. I do. <laughs> I know. I'm saying this is the foundation of your yeah. fandom of the sport. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I love, and and, and just understanding what like when I see a tackle pulling from the backside and then and cleaning somebody out on the end of the line of scrimmage to open a hole. Like, the idea that he got himself moving that quickly and then got past that running back. I, I always tell people the story of the, when I had to be Alan Fanica on the scout team and mm-hmm. just realize that that was what taught me how good a, a an elite lineman is and how good of an athlete an elite lineman is. Because Alan Fanica, I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but he's going to be as soon as he's eligible. He'll be first ballot guy. Mm-hmm. Um, LSU had him doing things that should not be possible. Like no. pulling from the backside to lead on a sweep should not be possible in the SEC. He he did it. He could do it. And it, it is it is amazing to see what some of these guys can do. Like the Evan Neal box jump, like every time I, I just, I've seen it a thousand times and my mouth drops every time yeah and the thing that i think i think about a good amount is most of the positions in football especially on offense they're position dependent running backs are dependent on the line receivers are dependent on the line and the quarterback and so and so forth across defense as well but if you start your team with quentin nelson everybody's getting better there's nobody who affects winning like dudes on the line and it doesn't it doesn't matter how great your receiver is if nobody's getting him the ball or if nobody's protecting the dude who needs to get him the ball and so that it makes quarterbacks better it makes running backs better it makes receivers better it makes defenses worse that you play against like i i always laugh a little bit when you're like okay this huge receiver committed to wherever when at the same time it's just like just just show me where the best line linemen are going oh they're going to the same places every year that's who's going to win and, and yes, or if you, and if you can't get the the five star ones, you have to be able to really develop them. And that yeah. sound you hear is Mark Stoops nodding furiously. Yeah, because oh, yeah. that's who whoever is Iowa's offensive line coach. Why hasn't somebody thrown him one point five million dollars a year? Right. Well, that's the thing. You do Kirk realize they're specific... by an, their head right. coach is an offensive line coach too. That right. helps. Right. But or <laughs> the guy who I know they I think they just hired a new defensive line coach, but like. Those guys at the Big Ten schools who are like, this is exactly what I'm looking for in a three-star lineman, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan well, State, well, the last few. Reese Morgan is the guy, the former D-line coach you're talking about. Right. Who was just, he was amazing. Like, he could go to an eight-man game 
and find an NFL prospect. Right. Like, which most people don't even know what they're looking at watching an eight-man football game. And he could, he, he just, he knew what the raw materials were to look for that you could then develop into a, a star college player or an NFL player. Yeah. And usually when that coach starts doing that with three-star dudes, then the four-star guys come knocking because they see who gets developed for the NFL. And it just it it's incredible to watch some of these schools. And who I forget, who is the the D-line coach at Mizzou? Oh, Craig Kulingowski. There's just guys. Kulingowski, yep. Who find and develop, find and develop wherever they are. Now, sometimes they're not great recruiters, which is why he didn't work out at Alabama in terms of, you know, securing the biggest fish. But, man, I, I respect that so much, that ability to look at a 255-pound kid and say, in three years, I got this. It's great. Or, or and, and even, even and this happens a lot, the 215-pound the kid mm-hmm. who is going to be a 280-pound guy. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's amazing how some of these guys can project. It, yeah. it, it does. It blows me away. Dan, before I let you go, I, I do have to, to we have to discuss a very important issue Let's. Uh, that is affecting this this college football season. Um, it's it's something that we've heard over and over this season, and it's it's starting to I mean, it was grading to begin with and it's starting to become <laughs> just completely numbing. Uh, I, I speak, of course, of this. But every now and then when I get paid, I got to store my baby with enough Dan, this is killing me. I I can't take this song. I, I you've heard my theory many times that bad hip hop and bad country are the same thing. That is essentially oh, yeah. just becomes reciting a list of brands mm-hmm. uh, when you've run out of ideas. Uh, no offense to Walker Hayes, who seems like a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. This this song must be stopped. And it's funny because the Applebee's commercial the and the, the, the TikTok dance, I didn't realize, and I went back and looked, and now I feel even worse for hating this thing. Like, it started with Walker Hayes and his daughter dancing to that song on the porch. Right. Like, a very sweet moment that has now turned into this corporate barf that we see across our screens every college football Saturday. Yeah, I think we, we can separate art from artist. Art, quote, in quotes, from this one. It's a, <laughs> it's a cool thing to dance with your daughter. We're all pro that, enjoying time with your family and, and coming up with fun stuff. But, man, I the, the dropping of the letters, you know, day nigh, day nigh. Like, there's just, I don't know. It feels... It feels weirdly odd to listen at the same it, it time. It feels it's, like it was written by a computer program, and I know it wasn't. I've read about the the writing of the song, but right. it, it almost it reminds me of. Okay, if you if you've heard uh, like Song Exploder, the podcast where they go into how they they create songs, or uh, Rob Harvilla's Sixty Songs That Explain the Nineties. Uh, like in in the Sixty Songs That Explain the Nineties, they do I want it that way, and Rob explains the Swedish songwriters who wrote a lot of the boy band Oh, there's songs a Netflix show Spears. about them. Yeah, called Pop. Yes. Yeah, there's an episode. Yeah. yeah, and essentially they're writing by math. Like, if, if you mm-hmm. hear the original lyrics for I Want It That Way, they actually make sense, like, in terms of the English language. But mm-hmm. they don't sound good because they're the wrong number of syllables. Right. And so, but 
this one felt like it was written by a computer and they were like, which brand should we plug in to get an advertising deal? And it's Applebee's. And listen, I got to say, from, from, a, from an advertising standpoint, it is a wonderful commercial in terms of doing what it's supposed to do because I know mm-hmm. who it's for. Like, I love that tag team scoop there it is commercial. So I do I. I have no idea what it's advertising. I, I only know that I want that family's kitchen. That's the only thing I remember from that commercial. Great Island. I have yep. no idea what it advertises. Yeah, it's well, okay, so we already know who tag team is. So we already have warm feelings if you're of a certain age because everybody danced to right. whoop there it is a wedding or a bar mitzvah or whatever. So we're already giving them the benefit of the doubt, whereas Walker Hayes wasn't immediately a known commodity. So I wonder if somebody we already liked from the 90s, like if Everclear was on a commercial or something singing about <laughs> a restaurant. I don't know. I think it's Applebee's for me. Like, yeah. And here's the thing. So... You and I both appreciate a good meal. Mm-hmm. I think you are probably a little more, you like the mom and pop sure. uh, one-off original. Mm-hmm. You appreciate that more than I do. Like I love a good chain restaurant. I'm a okay. huge fan. I just think Applebee's is a bad chain. Like right. if that had been about Chili's or Texas Roadhouse, I'm on board, or Olive Garden even. I love Olive Garden. Like, I would have been completely on board. It's just that Applebee's is so bad. Like, I can't stand that that, I'm just being bombarded with that constantly. And it's also, Applebee's is one of the biggest, and yeah, there is, you're right about something. There is an element where you feel like if you don't like the Applebee's song, that you're being too elitist and that you're trying to project yourself as being above Applebee's. Which, which by the way, if, if you read up on the, the writing of the song, that is exactly mm-hmm. what they were intending. Like, right. it, it is... Yeah, and so congrats to them, I guess. Yeah. They they did it. They created a great Rorschach test. Yes, and the thing is, I am with you. There are a number of chain restaurants I love. Inexpensive chain restaurants. Like, if if there were a song that really did it for me about CPK or something like that, I'm in. You're singing about those dumplings? (laughs) Exactly. Great, I'm in. Um, But, yeah, there is something about Applebee's. who They've been one of the bigger criminals in terms of, like, screw it. We're putting a bunch of food on a plate that doesn't like we're putting a bunch of shrimp under cheese on top of a steak where it's just like, what, who is this for? Why are we doing this? What, what is the point of like, let, let's it, it's not creative as much as it is like written by a computer of like, let's just throw these ingredients and see if people respond to it. That's that's my problem with Applebee's specifically. But like I, I used to go to Chili's all the time in college and loved it and would happily go again if that were you know one of my options on the road right now. So, yeah, it's not a chain restaurant thing. Applebee's is bad. Whether it's the advertisers or the programmers, because it seems like both of them are guilty of this. Mm -hmm. Like, why do they insist on bombarding us with one song for an entire football season? Like that, the the 30 Seconds to Mars song from Mm -hmm. a few years ago that, that ESPN used. Like, why not change out your advertising after a month or so so you're not becoming the butt of a joke? at yeah. a certain point like we why ram that down our throats so much we at the solid verbal are told sometimes to record a commercial a few different versions of a bombas commercial or whatever just so people aren't just like mouthing along with a commercial because they've heard it a thousand times during the season that said if it's a particularly amazing commercial or if the person in the commercial is especially likable i.e pitbull with dr pepper then I think people are into it. But you have to know, you have to do your your market research, I guess, with like who is somebody 
that is oh it's always going to resonate that this person is doing this commercial for corona or yeah. whatever and it's it's well, tough because nobody's universal can be ruined by it like that that insurance commercial that used the pet shop boys song opportunity mm-hmm. yep or opportunities uh i love that song i have loved that song since i was a kid that commercial destroyed that song for me yeah. because it was played over and over and over again and it's like okay the Kodorman sings. That's fantastic. But you're you're killing us here. And I again, yeah. I know it's for an insurance. I don't know which one. So it was a terrible advertisement. But what I don't okay, so I don't fully know. I think it's bundling insurance of some kind. The commercial where the guy is trying to teach younger people not to be old like their parents. Oh my god, I love every one of those. But there are different versions of them. There are different versions of it. But even versions I've seen a thousand times, they're perfect. It's a perfect commercial. Like, in terms of entertainment and rewatchability, it's perfect. And I think it's just, at the end of the day, it's just really hard to come up with a perfect commercial knowing that that's not why people are tuning into the broadcast. But yeah, that's, I think it's Rick. Something Mr. Rick, Dr. Rick, something like that. Yes, Dr. That, Rick. Do, do, do we get, it's great. Do we get more upset about this now because live sports are the only times we ever watch commercials anymore i think so yeah i mean it, it depending on whether or not you have pre-roll before youtube or something like that yeah i i think there is that element to it and i think there will come a time where there, there's going to be a price point where people can just get stadium noise instead of commercials right you pay five dollars a month for espn plus how about a seven dollar experience like that's gonna happen. It just, it happens with oh. you know if you subscribe to a pot like a premium version of a podcast on Patreon or whatever, you get ad free episodes. I think that'll happen. Well, this this podcast is a prime example. If you subscribe to the Athletic and you listen through the app, you don't get ads. There it is. Yeah, I I so, think there and, is and that element. Is the same way. Hmm. So yeah, we'll we'll get there. But I yeah. To, also because what do we have? We have Netflix, no ads. We have. Uh, HBO Plus, no ads. Disney Plus, no ads. People don't mind supporting programs and broadcasts that they feel they want to support. We've just come to look at sports as something that has commercials. And I, I'm hopeful that someday that's not the case and networks will make make all that money up some other way. But yeah, there that's, will what, be we, that's so what we many, deal with. If they do that, if they have the, the stadium noise feed that you pay an extra 3 or $4 a month for... Mm-hmm. So many people will get fired for saying stupid things. Tom Brenneman. Yeah. Yep. That's the issue. That, yeah, there's that, a deep drive. <laughs> I mean, it, it will be awful. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe people. there's something they can cut away. They can cut to the studio show for three minutes of highlights between, you know, during the commercial breaks. Because there still needs to be breaks in games. But, yeah. We'll, we'll get something. I, I just, I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad somebody else shares my just utter disdain for that song and, I do feel bad because, like like I said, I like a good chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's just not a good chain restaurant. So what is your chain restaurant? Because this is an opportunity for you to get a new sponsor. So what is oh, what yeah. is oh, yeah. what well, is the chain restaurant? The, remember, mayonnaise sponsored me. So that's true. This probably means Applebee's will sponsor me now because they're going to make me say nice <laughs> things about them. But my mine is definitely Texas Roadhouse. Texas, Texas. Roadhouse is my chain restaurant. The yeast rolls are phenomenal the steak is good mm-hmm. the burgers are good the yeast rolls bring me back the cinnamon butter and yes every single time uh chilies is is amazing 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you on CPK. I like CPK. Sure. I like Olive Garden. I know people say, well, that's not real. I don't care if it's real Italian or not. The breadsticks are delicious, and so is the salad. So don't care. But yeah, that, that's Outback's another one. Uh, I feel like in a just world, Bennigan's would have beaten out Applebee's okay. in the chain war. I, Bennigan's was awesome. And I do think, uh, I saw that they've kind of relaunched Bennigan's in, in a very interesting way. It You could find Bennigan's in several places now. They serve the classic Bennigan's dishes like the Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. They also serve three or four classic steak and ale menu items. Steak and ale was the fancy night out for my family when I was in middle school. Like, if something yeah. big happened, if somebody got good grades, if somebody got a promotion... We went to steak and ale. That's cold salad bar plates, brown bread, the Kensington Club. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, I fear we are in a post-salad bar world for the foreseeable future because of COVID and because it's of eating shame. out and how everything has changed. I'm totally with you. I, I worked in a barbecue place that had a salad bar. Our place wasn't Bennigan's. We would go to Sizzler growing up after celebrating our oh, game yeah. show wins. Um, they had the, the Texas toast and you had the swirl machine, the, the frozen yogurt, whatever, soft serve. That there is something about that. And if you look around, and I, I read an article about this recently, a lot of these places are leaning into the sort of retro vintagey, like the the kids from the nineties are now parents and they're spending money. Like Pizza Hut went back to their so old you, logo. You're saying right? I could relaunch Quincy's as a chain? I don't know Quincy's. What's Quincy's? You don't know Quincy's that you weren't in the South. No. Okay, so Quincy's very similar to Golden Corral, the okay. same general concept. Uh, originated the big fat yeast roll. There was actually a song about the big fat yeast roll uh, that was a commercial when I was in middle school. But like when I was in high school, me and the rest of the offensive line after practice on Thursday would go to Quincy's and mm-hmm. just eat them out of food. And yeah. it was amazing. It was it was just incredible. And it was like $5.99 for the buffet. And so I know that Golden Corral does it bigger mm-hmm. now and they have the chocolate fountain and everything. But I feel like if you could bring back Quincy's, there's a market for that. I know there's one in Florence, South Carolina still, but I I think there are other towns in the South that would welcome it. Yeah, no, people are spending money on nostalgic elements of their childhood. And whether it's buffets or pizza spots or, you know, buying records now, you know, everybody buys vinyl now, right? It's, It's everybody got sick of going too digital. People are buying physical books and there's something tactile and now leaning into what you remember as being you know you can i saw big league chew in my local gas station like yes with hershey bars people there is there is strength in that and i'm i'm hopeful that more places start leaning into what worked way back when instead of trying to be the most clever chain restaurant uh in the world because i it just i think that's short term so i think by the way if there's a bet Ari and I are going to have a bet at someone. Now, he wants me to eat this stupid death chip that, that I made him eat. Right. Uh, I'm probably going to have to do that the next time I lose. But I, I have a feeling at some point this season, I'm going to have to do the the Applebee's dance on video. Oh, on camera. For losing a bet. So uh, I'm ready for that. I just I just hope that by then we have the, the same synergy that we had with mayonnaise, that <laughs> we're sponsored by Applebee's, and at least we can get paid for it. What else disgusts you other than mayonnaise? Anything from like the like raw wood- onions? Raw <laughs> onions. Yeah. I don't there's there's probably some giant agribusiness firm <laughs> that, that makes a lot of that grows a lot of onions that 
that can sponsor us. I know there's a, a drink here. I'm in the Chicago Burbs. There's the Malort, like the supposedly like really gross, like stale licorice tasting shot that people say is just the worst. I don't. Uh, yeah, not not a fan, not a fan of of sambuca or any licorice flavored things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fan of of in this song, by the way. Maybe this is why I hate the song so much because a lot of things I hate all in all in one. Mm-hmm. Fries in a frosty is something Walker Hayes mentions in that song. My mm-hmm. wife loves fries in a frosty. I did that at Wendy's. Yeah, I, I grew up doing that. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't dip fries in a frosty. That, this is no. Uh, uh-uh. those two good. things don't go together. So I, what I'm hearing is your nightmare hot ones is just various like crazy Carolina Reaper spicy mayos. Maybe that's the challenge, oh, like God. various levels. That sounds like the worst thing ever. Although I do wonder, because again, if you put something in mayo, you change yeah, it know. fundamentally. That's true. The spicing it up might make it palatable for me. Okay, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, the death because chip will be put, interesting. Think about this. If you put if you put a, a couple different spices into mayo, you get the Pizza Hut creamy Italian dressing that I used to drink by the ladle full mm-hmm. from the salad bar at Pizza Hut. Back in the 80s. What about live animals? Have you ever done that? Uh, as in like... Like I know there's like a... Or... No, like a, there, I know there's... A, I, I believe it's a Korean tradition of like these small octopi that are still alive eating them. Oh, eating a live animal. Eating a live animal. I could probably do it. I don't want to do it. But right. I'm sure I could deal with it. I'm just trying to think I, of very I'm not going to eat that bird that you have to put the, the cone of shame over your head before you Oh, on it. billions? Yeah. Wrong. Yeah, uh, it starts with a D. I forget what that's called. All right, yeah, I don't. I, we haven't done food challenges on the Solid Verbal yet. That that seems like that's Andy Staple Show territory. But I, I, yeah, I don't like. I think my thing. If I had to take a bite of a raw tomato, that would be very viscerally difficult for oh, me. Oh, I don't like that either. It's a texture yeah. thing for me. Yes, I, I eat tons of things that have tomatoes in them. I eat mm-hmm. salsa, uh, no problem. But just cannot do a raw tomato. Yeah, just eating it like an apple. That would that like clenches me yeah oh yeah that's it now now i can't even go on so dan it's been wonderful thank you so much we'll talk to you on friday on the andy staple show hopefully then presented by applebee's (laughs) 